Morning, family. Yeah, won't you give Debbie a good round of applause and just... <laughs> you know, it is one of the challenges of life at Hatfield is that we've got so much going on and such limited space to get everybody aware and give everybody opportunities. So you think a video announcement on a Sunday, it's just, hey, there's a little video announcement, but it takes a lot of hard work and trying to figure out how, what do we need to make known and how do we make it known, and it's actually an impossible task. Because, you know, life at Hatfield is about discipleship. And as Debbie said this morning, I think she said it so well. It's, it's not about just coming to church and being part of a church. And I mean, if you sneak in the back and sneak out, praise God that, is, it, you know, you're always welcome. But we know that our journey is about growing in Christ. And that requires that we, that we, that we invest in that. And at Hatfield, there's basically two parts that we bring to our discipleship journey and that we believe as a church, we, we all do together to help us grow as disciples. And those two parts is we do community and we do equipping. So everything at Hatfield is about community and equipping. If you think of a railway track, you know, that has two tracks that a train runs on. Our two tracks that this discipleship journey of ours runs on is equipping and community. And they're not two separate things. They're interwoven. They're linked with one another. You know, when you come to an equipping event, you'll experience community. And when you go to community, you'll experience equipping. But it's hard for us to get everybody to know everything that we do and how to do it. So next week, we're actually going to launch a booklet at Hatfield. That is called Life at Hatfield, and it'll be given to you from next week on that lists everything, or it's a work in progress. We're starting the journey. There's still things that we have to refine, but we thought, let's do what we can so long, and then we'll, we'll get it better. But the idea of the book list is that you'll be able to use that to see everything that you can do in community and everything that you can do in equipping. So that when we on a Sunday have to do announcements, we can actually trim down on that a bit and not spend a lot of time on announcements, but really just highlight things and refer you to other avenues to say, go look at the booklet or look at the website or look at the social media page if you want more information, because we don't want you to miss out on that. So next Sunday, we're going to launch the booklet, and uh, you don't want to miss that, and it's going to be, and I really want to thank Michelle Meiberg and our team for working so hard on that and all our hub facilitators on getting all the information together so that we can serve you better. And that's the heart of what we have. Now, I'm going to change over into sermon mode. Can you make that change with me into sermon mode? We've had an amazing week of prayer and fasting. And I want to thank every one of you that came to a session that even those that couldn't make it to a session but prayed together, there's been a, such a joy. I, I had the privilege of between the two churches being in, I think, seven of the sessions over the last week outside of Sunday services, and just to experience the richness of God in this community and His Word that is so alive and so real in our midst. And uh, I want to thank all our teams and our pastors and leaders and elders that facilitated the prayer sessions, and I think we had an amazing time. If you had, if you gone to a prayer session, would you agree with me that it was a really special time this week and very powerful, and I think we should just give everybody involved a round of applause and just thank them for the hard work that they did through this week. Now, as I was in some of the sessions, I, you, know, it, it, you start hearing just things that the Lord is saying, and on, I think it was Monday night, if I remember correctly, Jack and Pam facilitated a time where they took us through some of the historic prophetic words that God said to Hatfield, and um, and as I was listening to that, there were things starting to just stir in my spirit about, and I felt this, this, this attentiveness to the Word of the Lord and what God is saying to us. And then on Tuesday night, I went to the, the South Church, and it was the same experience all over. 
on, on Monday night as here at the prayer station, we had somebody come and share with us, and they spoke about the ancient wells and, and a particular word that's been around for a period of time now and that we've heard, and God's speaking to us about the wells of Hatfield and, you know, the, what is that which God has called us to and the grace of Hatfield. And when I went to the South Church on, Sunday, uh, on Tuesday evening, the first two songs they sang were about the ancient wells. So, you know, then you go, okay, now I must listen. The Lord is speaking. And as I was praying through that and through the week, I felt a word stirring in my heart, and that's what I want to share with you this morning. Actually, I had something completely different in mind for today, but through this week, felt the Lord needed me to speak into this specific area. And I'm going to do something this morning that is a little harder for me to do, and it's going to be even harder for you to listen to. So we need grace, and that's what we call prophetic teaching. I have to teach and prophesy at the same time. And uh, that requires a bit of juggling in, uh, in my communication ability, so I feel a bit stretched this morning, and I, and I want to pray for you for the grace to hear what the Word of the Lord is saying. Not to get stuck on the teaching, but I need to teach it because I believe it's something we need to get hold of and make sure we firmly root in our foundations. Remember last week I spoke about foundations, and this is one of those things we need to take and make sure we've got it firmly rooted in our foundation so that we can move with what the Lord has in mind for us. So the title of this message this morning is Reopen the Ancient Wells. And I'd like to go to Genesis 26. The word that we received as a church from somebody that's a good friend and associated with this house, but not really a member here, uh, is about Genesis 26. And when they reminded us of again of this on Monday evening, I, uh, and, and particularly on Tuesday night, I felt the Lord said, now go read Genesis 26. Don't just hear the word, go read it. And as I went and go to read it, I felt, man, this is a word for us at this time and in this season. So Genesis 26 is the story of Isaac. Now, remember who Isaac is? He's the son of promise, the son that God promised to Abraham, the beginning of the fulfillment of the promise of God of his blessings for all nations, and that, that Abraham would be a father of many nations. Now, Abraham's time is finished, and now we focus on Isaac and a bit of Isaac's story. And in, in Genesis 26, we pick up some of what Isaac's experience was and what he was going through in life. And Genesis 26 verse 1 and, and the first couple of verses creates for us a bit of a context of what Isaac was experiencing at the time. It starts by this in verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the previous famine in Abraham's time, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. There was a famine in the land, a time of scarcity, a time of lack, a time where there was not enough for everybody. How often have we all experienced times like that? I mean, we live in a world that seems to go through seasons where there's often times of lack, times when there's not enough for everybody, where people are under pressure. I mean, we live right now in this week, we, we, we look north of our border and we saw what happened in Zimbabwe, and we see the tremendous struggle that people have, the lack that there is, and our hearts grow out in compassion, and we pray for the people of Zimbabwe, but how many of you know God has a plan? Do you really believe that? Do you believe God's hand can change the things in Zimbabwe? Shall we pray together for Zimbabwe right now, because we believe that? Lord, we, we pray for our neighbors, Father, and we know there's many people here even that come from Zimbabwe, have family, loved ones in Zimbabwe, and Lord, we just want to stand on that firm foundation that our God is a good God, 
and that His hand is not too short, and that He's not caught of God, but that God has a plan. And we pray, Lord, for Your plans and for Your purposes be to be revealed. We pray, Lord, that Your goodness will be made known to the people of Zimbabwe in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen. Amen. I mean, we see in our own nation, with corruption and all the revelations of this week, I mean, it's, it's like a mafia movie to hear all these things going on. And, and we feel this. Now, Isaac was living in a time of tension due to lack, scarcity, a time of famine. Now, he had a bit of an added complication that he didn't have his own place. He was a nomad. He had no home. He had no place that he could say, this is my home. Now, he found himself in this particular condition because of God. Remember, his father, Abraham, was from a people, had a land, had a home, had a place that he could say, this is my family's home. This is where I come from. And one day, God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, leave your home, leave your people, leave your security, leave your comfort, leave your identity, and go to the land I will show you. And Abraham believed God, and he did it. He left everything he knew, goes off on a journey to a land that God will show him. Now, this is about 80 years later, and the next generation, Abraham is gone. He's died. Sarah's left. And now we find Isaac, and he's still in a condition where he has no land. He's a nomad. He's moving around. He has no place. His father had a home, but God said, leave your home. Go to the place I will show you. Now, Isaac gets born, and he's still in that condition. So it's a, it's a bit of a tough thing. I mean, it would be right for him or somebody else to ask the question, Lord, you said you will give us the land. But here we are, 80 years later, a whole generation later, and we still have nothing. And now it's a time of famine. And in a time of famine, a time of lack of, of resources, the people that are nomadic, the people that don't have land and ground, feel it first. So here's Isaac. There's famine in the land, which literally meant in those days that the, the, the crops weren't yielding a harvest. People were planting, but there was not enough rain so that there were not crops, and people were struggling. So what do people do in a time of famine? And it still happens today. People from the countryside, what do they do? They move to the city. Urbanization takes place, like we see it today. This became a time of urbanization. So Isaac, a person that was moving around the land, just living off the land, couldn't live off the land. So what he did is what so many people of the time did, they moved to cities. So Isaac moves with his family to a city of the Philistines to go and see if they can find for themselves in the city at least food and provision. So he comes into the city, and this city is an interesting name. The city's name is Gerar. And the king of the city, remember they had city-states in those days? This, this, the, the king of the city is a guy by the name of Abimelech. Now, first of all, Abimelech was a common name of a king in those days. Because if you read the story of Abraham, he also dealt with an Abimelech. Now, we don't know, is it the same guy? Because this is about 80 years apart. But remember, people lived long in those days. So it could be the same king. But it probably wasn't because it was a common name given to their kings. But that's a little bit of a side fact. But the city's name, if you translate it, means dwelling place, home. So Isaac, a homeless man, finds himself in a city called home, dwelling place. Sort of just, you know, the irony of it. Rubbing his nose in it almost a bit. Now he's got to come into this place. Not only 
is at a foreign place, and he's not a, uh, he, does, he, doesn't, he doesn't belong there because it's not his people, it's not his nation. But it's the only place they could go to. So they go into Gerar. Then the Lord speaks to Isaac, and, the, and, and we carry on reading. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and bless you. Now, Egypt was going through a boom time. Egypt was going through a time of, of, of surplus, and many people were actually migrating to Egypt at the time to get provision. So all the more when there's problem and lack, then people leave and they find a place where there's enough. And so many people were going to Egypt, and Egypt sort of became a, a, a place where refugees could find space, and a place that was open and friendly to refugees, opposed to where the Philistines weren't so much. So it would be logic for Isaac to, to think, man, perhaps like everybody else, I must just go to Egypt. They, they know how to receive us. They, they can look after us. But God says to him, no, no, don't go to Egypt. Stay in this land. Stay in this place, and I will bless you. Now, why does God ask that of him? Carry on reading. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me. You see, this land where they find themselves, we later understand it's called Canaan promised land. It was the land that God promised to Abraham. So God says to Isaac, I want you to stay in this land, because if you leave this land, my promise cannot be fulfilled. You may not feel at home, you may not feel welcome, but this is actually your land, so stay here. Do what your father did, and he obeyed me. Abraham obeyed God. He stayed in a place which was not his home in the physical I want to just read for you, just so that you get a bit of an understanding of this. Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking towards the city with foundation, whose architect and builder is God. The writer of the Hebrews shows us this paradox. Here's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They have a promise from God that says, this land I will give you. And not only this land, I will give you vast land. I will increase your number. I will make you as numerous as, this, as the sand on the seashores, as the stars in the sky. And through you, I will bless every nation. But for three generations, they had no land. They, did, they were not a people. They were a vagabond group that was being pushed around, suffering from the economic and social conditions of the day. Didn't feel like this promise was being fulfilled. But it says, by faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob looked for the city. Though they lived in tents, in the physical, in their hearts by faith, they were living in the city of God. They were living as if the city of God was real, even though physically they had nothing to prove to it. Isn't that what faith is? Hebrews 11 verse 1 says to us, 
Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 2 Corinthians 4.18, for faith is not believing in what we see, but in what we don't see. These guys were seeing in the Spirit that which God was planning and promising, yet in the physical they were not experiencing at all. And they had to make a daily choice. Am I going to live in what I feel is real, or am I going to live in what God has promised? Because depending on which one you live in, that's the one you'll obey. You see, obedience is faith in action. Obedience is saying, I'm acting now in what I believe to come. What I believe to come is so real to me that it determines my actions now. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived like they were living in the city of God, even though they were living in tents, being pushed around by the rulers of the day. That's faith. And you and I, we are called by God to live as if we're living in the city of God. The city of God is God's eternal home with us. The place where Jesus said, I know my Father has prepared a place for you, and I go, or my Father has made a place for you, and I go to prepare for you. That's the city of God. The city of God is what we read about in Revelations, where every nation, every tongue, every tribe finds its place before God. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were already living like they were living in that city, even though they were living in a time of scarcity where people were saying there's not enough place for everybody. How do we live today? Do you live in a time? Do you live in a reality where you say there's not enough space, there's not enough place, there's not enough room for everyone? Or do you live in a space where you're saying my God has made place for everyone? I live as if I'm living in the city of the Lord. Not in the tents of this time. You see, that became the key difference. So Isaac obeyed and stayed in Gerar, in dwelling place, which was not his home. And did everything required of him, keeping the commands of the Lord and his instructions. And then it says in, from verse 7 on, it says, When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men might have well have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people, anyone who harms this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. You see, they were in a space where they had no security. They had no, nobody was looking after them, which caused them quite great difficulty. Now remember, Rebecca was a sign of God's blessing in the life of Isaac. Remember how the two of them came together through God's providence and God's provision. So this was already a sign for Isaac to say, man, God provided for me a wife. But now he finds himself in this space where there is competition, where people take from one another. Even they will take your wife or your husband. They will kill you if they want your spouse. So he's tempted and he, and he succumbs to the temptation like his father did. Remember? Abraham did the same thing with Sarah, also with Abimelech. 80 years ago, roughly somewhere around there, also said, look, she's my sister, so that they wouldn't kill him to take his wife. So Isaac does the same thing. Not a great show of character, but can we understand the conditions? They had no sense of security. Everything, they were insecure in every way. 
But here already God starts coming through for them, and God starts saying, because you obeyed me, I'm going to look after you. And the king sees what's going on. But we carry on reading. And then it says, Isaac planted crops in that land, and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Now remember, the, it was famine. The crops weren't yielding a harvest. People were struggling. So probably what happened was Isaac was with his family living inside of the city walls to have protection, to have just that sense of, you know, these people, we, we've got a place, we can live here, and, and there's some econo economy, industry going on in the city. But then what he did is he probably got permission to take a piece of land outside of the city, sort of adjacent to the city, just outside of the city walls. And he went and planted. And everybody looked at him and said, are you crazy? Why are you planting? The, the ground is not giving us a harvest. It's, it's a time of famine. There's no rain. There's, it's drought. Whatever the reason was, we're struggling. So Isaac said, well, I'm going to try something. So he goes and plants. In the first year, he gets a hundredfold harvest when nobody else is getting a harvest. One day the people see the, 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 the carts coming into the city, and they see suddenly there's produce. I don't know what he was planting, but whatever he was planting, cabbage, let's say he was planting cabbage. I know, I don't like cabbage either, but you know, let's say cabbage, <laughs> just so that we don't go according to my preference. So he planted cabbage, and suddenly there's trucks of cabbage, carts of cabbage coming into the city. And the people look like, where is this coming from? What, where? And here comes Isaac. Now, how many of you know what happens in a time of lack of resources? The economy of supply and demand. Suddenly, cabbage used to be 10 shekels a cabbage, or 50 cents a cabbage. But now, because of the time of scarcity, a cabbage costs five rand. So Isaac cashes in, man. The people are so, at first, they're so glad. There's cabbage. Yay, we can stink up the city. Wow, it's going to be wonderful. And everybody's buying cabbage. And Isaac's pocketing. And this starts happening more and more. He's, he carries on just being blessed. The other farmers are struggling, but this guy is making a killing. He's just being blessed. I mean, read the Scripture. The man became rich. How many of you want to put that on a little fridge magnet and put it on your fridge? The word of the Lord says, the man became rich. Amen. And his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. Not just wealthy, very wealthy. Jeff Bezos, wealthy. You know what I mean. He stood out in his time. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. Uh-oh. Remember, he's a foreigner in a strange land. It's not his people. He's, on a, he's not on a secure footing. And now he starts standing out. Everybody starts talking about him. Why is he so blessed? What did he do? Why? What shortcuts did he? Who did he bribe? Who's he, you know, what has he done? Why is he suddenly so wealthy? The people start looking, and they start envying him. Now, how many of you know envy leads to great problems? It's the spirit of this world. It's the spirit of this world that came into this world when Adam and Eve fell in sin in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, God created, 
And God showed us Himself and His heart and His attitude, His spirit towards mankind when He made the heavens and the earth and He stepped back from it and He said, it is very good. And He said to Adam and Eve, go forth and multiply. He didn't say, have three children. There's not more than that. We can't handle more than that. He, he put an unlimited invitation to them. He said, go forth and multiply. Just have kids populate the earth. Because in God's heart, there was more than enough for everybody. Because he's a generous God. But then Adam and Eve sinned. They ate of the fruit, and they basically said, God, we're going to do this on our own. We don't need you. We're going to figure this out. We're going to know what's right and wrong, and we're going to determine what life is going to look like. And unfortunately, that opened them to huge problems. In Genesis 3, verse 17, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food and you will, and until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And this idea came into our human experience, which was never God's intent, but the idea of scarcity. There's not enough. That you will struggle to have a bit. And the friend of scarcity is competition. Now you're competing with one another. And we see this manifest in Adam and Eve's children immediately. Remember the story of Cain and Abel. Two sons of Adam and Eve. The one was a, a, a livestock farmer and the other one was a cabbage farmer. Vegetables. For no rhyme or reason, it's not that God favors livestock or, you know, has got anything against cabbage. It's not for that, but just for some rhyme or reason, the Scripture says, and Abel was favored. Now, that literally meant he was prospering in his, in his farming, while Cain was struggling. How did Cain interpret this? He looked at his brother, and the same spirit that we see in, 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 in the, with the Philistines, the spirit of envy, was in the heart of Cain. Oh, Cain. And he looked at his brother and he said, because he has, I can't have. And as long as he is blessed, I will struggle. So in his heart, a plot was hatched. And remember the scripture where the Lord came to him and said, if you take control of sin, you will master it. But if you don't, sin is crouching at the door of your heart. And he didn't. He didn't deal with his envy. He didn't deal with the jealousy. And what did it lead to? He eventually killed his brother. Why did he kill his brother? Simply because he said, if my brother is no longer there, then I no longer have competition. Then I'm not fighting against him. There's only so much. My brother is taking more than his fair share. So if I get rid of him, then I can have it all. And he killed his brother. That same spirit that entered the world, we see here in the land of the Philistine. That same spirit is still alive with, among us. And that's the difference between the city of God. The city of God is a place where God says, every nation, every person, the, the, the spirit of this world says, there's not enough. There's scarcity, there's competition. So Isaac lives in the land, and he was blessed. Why was he blessed? What caused him to be blessed? I mean, it was God, but what physically gave him the advantage? We, we read on, it says, So all the wells that his father had dug in the time of his father, all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up 
filling them with earth. Same thing was just repeating itself. You see, when Abraham was living amongst the Philistines, he was also blessed by God because he obeyed God for no other reason than he obeyed God. He just chose to believe in God, and God blessed him. So Abraham discovered in his time some ancient wells. Why are they called ancient wells? Let me ask you this question. When do you think those wells were established? When do you think that water was put in the earth, underneath the earth's crust? When do you think that was put there? Is it possible that at creation, when God spoke and He separated the earth and the waters, that He put the water underneath the earth? And He put some ancient wells in place? Why did God do that? Because He knew that people were going to come. And this is how our God works. Before the people come, He provides. He already put the water in place. He knew that one day Abraham was going to live in that place. And therefore, he said, Abraham, for, to provide for you what you need, I'm going to put some wells under the ground. Now, Abraham comes along. He's a child of faith. God speaks to him. Through God's providence, God shows him where the wells is. He probably didn't even know that it was God, but you know how these things go. He discovers the wells, digs open the wells. The water comes gushing out. He can water his crops. Everybody else is waiting for rain. There's no rain. They're struggling. He's got provision from the ancient wells, and he's blessed. Wow. Do you know... Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe that God provided for you long before you were even born? Do you believe that about every single person that walks this planet? You see, the spirit of this world says there's not enough. There's not enough. We can't handle these people. It's actually good that some babies get aborted because we don't have for them. There's not enough. We believe in the Spirit of God, which is a generous God that says every person was knitted together in their mother's womb. Every person God planned and purposed. There's not one person I can look at and say, oh, sorry, you're a mistake. You weren't planned. You're an accident. Ooh, okay, we'll find something for you to live off, but really, you shouldn't be here. Hey, or do you, do you not believe that? Do you believe that every person you pass on the street, you can look at them and say, God purposed you, and therefore God provided for you. Is that really what we believe? Or do we live in tents in our hearts? Oh, there's not enough. No. Now, the Philistines responded to this in a very interesting way. Instead of going to Abraham at the time, as they did with Isaac, we'll read it just now, and saying, wow, isn't it amazing, Abraham? You found provision. Can we strike a deal with you? Can we somehow join with you and, and work together so that we can get this provision and all? What did they do? They find the wells and they block them. They say this, it's better that none of us has anything than some of us have something. That's literally what they said. They said, we'd rather all die and have no crops, then have one of you, us blessed and the rest of us not blessed. And I can understand that. I, I, I have compassion for that. I, I understand that, that struggle. I can understand that feeling of, of it's unfair. I can understand that. But if we really reduce life to that, then we all sink pretty quickly. In the Spirit of God, things work a little different. 
But what God was not trying to communicate here was that He only has blessing for Isaac, not for everybody. That's not what He was saying, although that is what the people were hearing. Because let's go back to the promise of God to to Abraham in Genesis 12. What did God say to Abraham? I will bless you, and through you, only the people of Israel will be blessed. No. What is the words that God repeated to Isaac when when He said, I will bless you so that through you, every nation of the earth will be blessed? You see, in God's wisdom, he had a process. First, he called a man, and that man responded by faith. And because that man responded in faith, and because that man obeyed, God said, I will bless you. So that through that man, God could establish a blessing for a family. Out of that family, God called a nation, and he blessed the nation. So that out of that nation, a blessing could come forth that would be for every nation of the earth. God's heart was never just for Isaac or Abraham. It was always for everybody but he started somewhere. God blessed the Jewish people. And there's many promises that God gave them and that some that he's fulfilled and some that will yet still be fulfilled. And God will continue to bless them and we should celebrate God's blessing on the Jewish people and not say, hmm, why are we not being blessed? And why? Are... Because that's the spirit of the world. The spirit of God says there's more than enough. And we trust God. We don't judge it by what we think and see. I think that word, that, that poem of Dan, that, 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 that we can come into a place of buoyancy is possible when we trust God. If we reduce things to our human understanding, we'll come to this logic. Rather, we all have nothing than some have something. Unfortunately, that's the spirit of this age. Not this age, the spirit of the world that we've been carrying with us from the time of creation. Because Isaac was blessed, and because the Philistines were getting envious, they responded. Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us, you have become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. So he just moved. He said, well, okay, there's no more place for us in the city. Dwelling place is not dwelling place after all. Your marketing says everybody's welcome, but it's not really true, so I'll just move on because I'm too blessed now. So he moves off into the countryside, just the valley below the city, not very far away, just in the valley. And he goes there, and and somehow he remembers, oh, but even here my father had found wells, ancient wells of provision. So he he dug them up, ooh, water comes out, yeah, he plants, he's blessed. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herders of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek. Essek means dispute, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. He named it Sitna. Now remember, Isaac didn't have rights in that land. So he couldn't really fight with them when they said, Look, this is ours. It was their land. Even though he could say, Listen, Just before you were here, my father was already here. He actually dug this well, but uh, we're not going to fight. I I don't think he could really fight, but I also think he had an understanding of who his God was. That said, well, I don't have to fight with you. My God will provide. So he moved on to the next well. They kicked him out there. He just carried on going. By the third one, he moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Reboth. Reboth means room saying, now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. 
Because you see, his basic understanding of life was he has a generous father. That a God that provides, that said there's more than enough. There's place for everyone. So I'm not going to get stuck and fighting and into places of difficulty because I trust my father. This became his fundamental view of life, even though every day he was experiencing the opposite. Every day he was experiencing the competition, the quarreling, the striving for resources. In his heart, he said, but I live in a different place. I think we live in the same experience, don't we? We live in a world that every day we feel that struggle. We feel that reality that there's not enough space for everybody. There's not enough to go around. That there's competition, that there's striving, that there's all these issues. And I mean, in our country, we have very real issues that need real answers and real solutions to difficult problems. Problems of land and, and, and of social justice. We need real answers for these things. But I think it makes a huge difference. When you come to those things from a foundation that says, we have a good God, and there's place for everyone. Then when we come at it from a foundation of, there's not enough here. Because then we start doing some other things. I want to remind you of Ephesians 2, verse 14 to 21. Just listen to these words. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, talking about Jews and Gentiles, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For though through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of His household. There was a time when some of us were close and some of us were far. Some of us had and some of us didn't have. But Jesus came and said, my table is open to everybody. I don't want some to have and some to not have. I want everybody to come. There's a, there's a space at the table for everyone. In the, in the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied these words. Isaiah 56 verse 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted for my, of my, on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Remember when Jesus came into the temple and he got so angry. Why did he get so angry? You see, because the spirit of competition, the spirit of lack, the spirit that there's not enough entered even the temple. And the people were corrupt and, and bribing and selling things at higher than, than market-related prices to one another. And there was this competition that was even in the temple when they sold the sacrifices, they were cheating each other because basically this meant that this belief system that there's not enough entered even into the sacred places of the temple. So Jesus walked into the temple, overthrew the tables. You read Scripture, it's really tough that he actually sat and wove a, 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 what do you call that thing? That, that, that thing, you know that thing. 
a sambok in our language. And then he went in and he beat the people with it because he was so upset that they bought into the spirit of this world that there's not enough. We have to cheat each other. We have to, you know, disadvantage one another. He say, and then he repeated these words. He says, why have you made my father's house a robber's den? Have, I, have we not told you that my house will be a house of prayer for all nations? Around the table of God, there's place for everyone. Aren't we so thankful as a Hatfield community of how rich we are, how rich our heritage is as a church, that we are a place for all nations, for all peoples? In the context of the history of this nation, where people have been pulled apart and told that there's no space for everybody, as a church, we've experienced the grace of God upon us to say there's place for everybody. We're not perfect. We have answers that we have to find for questions, but we're standing, and I, I believe the Spirit of God is prophetically saying to us, make sure that you keep this well open. This ancient well must be kept open. Do not let it close. Do not let a spirit of competition come in amongst you that says it is the time now for some. It's not the time for others. Keep inviting each other to the table. Keep inviting each other. Keep saying there's space. Keep validating. Keep opening up. I'm going to finish reading that portion in Ephesians. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, build on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. This is the message of the apostles and the prophets of the Old Testament. This is a house of prayer for all nations. That's the foundation. That's what we build upon. If we build on anything else, we're moving against the Spirit of God. With Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. Last week I spoke about foundations. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in, him, and in Him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. If we want to be a church that not only now, not only in our past, but for generations to come, is a place where the Spirit of God dwells, this is one of the ancient wells that we have to protect. This is a house of prayer for all nations. Let there be no one that comes into these doors and feels there's no real place for me here. We do not do that. We stay buoyant in the Spirit. We don't get weighed down and bogged down by these things. Not because we ignore them, but because we come at the difficulties of the questions of our times, the struggles that we have to find answers for in this nation. We come at them from a place of saying, our God has provided our God has provided. I don't know what your life has been like or what you are going through. Perhaps right now you're feeling it very keenly. Your, your company is saying to you, there's not enough space. We don't have enough. The economy is going down. We have to let you go. And you're feeling it very real. You're feeling that tension of this world. And it's real. We cannot ignore it. Perhaps you've grown up in a, in a community that's always been on the outside, that's always been disenfranchised, and you've never felt like there's place for you at the table. Perhaps you used to have a place at the table and you feel like your place is getting lost. I want to tell you, it, don't live in tents. Live in the city of God. By faith. I wonder if we could stand together this morning.
Thank you for giving me time. And can I pray for you that I've said some things this morning and I've been trying to really just be obedient to the voice of the Lord. And, and I even fought with the Lord whether I'm the right person to say some of these things. And the, but I trust that there's grace, that we can together hear the word of the Lord. Forget the messenger, forget me. And if I said some things improperly and incorrectly, then can you have grace for me? But can we together hear what God is saying to us? And can we keep open the ancient wells? And perhaps where a spirit of envy and a spirit of jealousy may have entered this house, can we say, Lord, let's remove those things. There's place for everyone. Can we close our eyes? Can I ask you just to say this to yourself? Thank you, Father, that there's place for me in your house. I don't deserve it. I have no claim to it, Lord. I have no inside track. I have no reason why there should be place for me at your house, in your table. But you made a place for me. Thank you that I'm no longer an alien or a stranger, but that I am a member of your household. I belong. I have found my dwelling place, my city, my eternal city in the presence of God. But Lord, thank you that it's not only me, but thank you for my neighbor. Thank you for the other person that you did the same for them. That we are equal at the foot of the cross. That we all need to repent equally. And we all need to obey equally. And we all need to have faith equally, Lord. But thank you, Father, for your blessing. It's real that you have made a way where there seems to be no way. And Lord, we together stand here this morning in this community and we say this will be a house of prayer for all nations. Now and for always. We proclaim it in the Spirit, Lord. We decree it in the Spirit. We say this is not a place even though we may struggle with the difficulties of our time and, and, and engage and try and find answers for the issues, Father, we will not do it from a place of competition and scarcity, but we will do it from a place of believing our God has provided for all of us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you can, if you're okay, just give the person next to you a squeeze in their hand. And just say, you belong. You belong. And we thank you for that, Father. We praise you. Have your way among us. I'm going to invite you, if you want to come forward for prayer today. It may be that you've been feeling this, this pressure. But today I want to say to you, God has provided for you. Just come and let us pray for you and establish you in faith, in that understanding that God has made a place for you. But in order to belong, you need to come and say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. It's only in Him that we can experience this. So come and let us pray with you. The Lord bless you. Have a wonderful week. And just go and walk in the grace and the provision of our Father. Amen. Amen.